This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. For more information, visit TACC.org. And Texas Nurse Practitioners. A new public health study funded by the TLL Temple Foundation found that Texas can alleviate its primary care provider shortage by 32% by removing restrictions on APRNs. Read more at texasnp.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for March 31st, 2023. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Tribune. And this week we're going to have just a kind of broad Texas politics conversation. First, we're going to ask the question of what's Donald Trump standing in the Texas GOP after his rally last weekend and news of his indictment on Thursday. And then we're going to just do a kind of check in on the legislative session, how it's going so far. Uh, Joining us for that discussion is politics reporter Patrick Spitek. Hey, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, Politics reporter James Berrigan. Hey, James. Hello. And uh, Lubbock uh, Talk Radio host Chad Hasty. If you're in Lubbock, Abilene, or Wichita Falls, you know him as a syndicated talk radio host. If you're a regular reader of the Tribune from outside of those areas, you might know him as the man who always gets the interviews with the statewide elected officials, who is then, you know, those interviews often frequently quoted in the Texas Tribune. Hey, Chad, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. appreciate it. Yeah, so I just did a quick archive search before we started, and uh, the like some version of you know told um, Lubbock radio host Chad Hasty has been has been mentioned I think sixty four times uh, in in recent years in the Tribune. So uh, um, that, that, that's pretty good. And, and let me say this: I appreciate you guys, Patrick, and everyone else, because there are a lot of other publications I won't say who, but other publications who will just write Lubbock host or radio guy and and just leave it at that and i'm like hmm i think that was me but you you, you guys over the tribune always give great credit and so i appreciate that That's name, right, we name, names. name names chad let's make it spicy <laughs> <laughs> let's start this show off right all right good. all right so as we're recording this it's less than 24 hours since news broke that donald trump had been indicted by a new york grand jury uh Reporting indicates that he's accused of falsifying business records to cover payments of around $130,000 to the adult film actress Stormy Daniels in order to keep quiet, keep her from telling a story about an affair she says she had with Trump. Uh, Trump, of course, denies that this affair happened. Uh, News of the indictment brought swift accusations of a political witch hunt from Trump, but also from a lot of Texas Republicans, namely Ted Cruz. Ken Paxton, Sid Miller, Ronnie Jackson, Wesley Hunt, Dustin Burroughs, to name a few. We can get a little bit into the, the substance of the allegations, but what I really want to talk about is, is basically Trump's standing among the GOP and in Texas. It's a big question that I think a lot of people have as we kind of approach the 2024 cycle. Trump, of course, kicked off his kind of 2024 campaign events in Waco last weekend, drawing a big crowd and a lot of excitement from Texans and Texas officials. Um, But there, you know, have been some 
people who have, um, you know, in the kind of Republican establishment who have, you know, you know, implicitly or even more outspokenly kind of tried to distance themselves from the, the former president or, or tried to move on. And I think all these kind of events combining raise some interesting questions about kind of what his relationship is with this party. But first of all, let's just talk a little bit about the, the, the fallout from the indictment. Patrick, you, I'm sure, were watching this go down last night. How would you kind of sum up what the Texans are saying about this, you know, major news? I thought it was it was mostly predictable. Um, you know, it was a little interesting to see how quickly some Texas Republicans were to react versus others. Um, you know, I think the first reaction I saw was from uh, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. I think he, he tweeted criticism of this indictment within, um, you know, less than 15 minutes after the news broke. Um, he obviously hasn't endorsed Trump for 2024, uh, but supported him in his previous uh, presidential campaigns um, and has been a you know pretty reliable Trump ally in the Senate. Um, we even saw you know Governor Greg Abbott weigh in on this with a tweet last night. He you know didn't mention Trump's name in the tweet, uh, but criticized uh, the indictment as a political witch hunt, as everyone else has done. Um, and I, I thought that was a little notable, just because Abbott um, you know has uh, really been quiet on all things related to Trump ever since Trump. Um, announced a 2024 campaign. I mean, Abbott to this day has not even publicly commented on Trump's 2024 candidacy. So um, I think the fact that you saw even Abbott feeling the need to say something, um, you know, shows the uh, kind of, you know, relative Republican unity and pushing back on this indictment. Sure. You know, the we you had a story, Patrick, in, in early January with the headline as Donald Trump mounts his 2024 presidential bid his support among Texas officials is waning, you know, and I would say kind of classify why that is right. It was less, you know, outright kind of, um, denounce, you know, people denouncing him and, and more people maybe keeping their distance. Right. We've, we've seen a few folks who, who will have come out, you know, anti-Trump in this way, but more of people maybe trying to move on. Would I, would I be classifying that right yeah, I mean, that story was written about two months after the midterm elections. And I think we were in a different place, you know, not just statewide, but nationally for Trump standing with the Republican Party. Um, you know, Republicans were still licking their wounds um, from their underwhelming performance in the midterms, which some blamed on Trump's involvement in the midterms. Um, there had also been a number of highly controversial episodes involving Trump uh, that were still fresh in their memory, including that uh, dinner he hosted with the, the white nationalist Nick Fuentes and, and Kanye West. Um, but, you know, I think some of those memories have faded a little bit. And, you know, with the, the you know, kind of the rumor of this indictment first and then the news of the indictment, I think that helps shore up some of his support in Texas. Um, and you've and you've seen, you know, some concrete evidence of that. He unveiled this Texas leadership team uh, during his Waco rally last weekend. And, you know, there were a number of new names on there, including, I think, at least three new congressional endorsers and uh, at least one new statewide endorser. So he is making headway um, with Texas Republicans since we published that story for sure. Chad, it was a popular thing to say on Twitter last night, you know, that the the New York district attorney might have just handed uh, you know, Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump the, the, the GOP nomination in 2024. Does this, do you think, help him in his standing here? I do. And and I, I think it 
I think for the Texas Republicans who wanted Trump to quietly go away, that's not going to happen now. Uh, and, you know, maybe they wanted to move on to a Ron DeSantis. Maybe they wanted to move on to a Nikki Haley. Uh, this is now galvanized just in the short time. I mean, this news broke 15 minutes before I went on the air yesterday. And the audience was just, I mean, e even my audience who had, who are Trump supporters, but also I had quite a few DeSantis supporters immediately went to, I got to support Trump now. I got to support Trump. And it, it, it's one of those where uh, I think the supporters feel personally attacked uh, by this and then by, and by this action and look at it as something that is, if this can happen to Trump, it can happen to anybody else out there uh, that, you know, th that the fact that there were other prosecutors here who had said, no, we're not going to, you know, prosecute this as a felony. We're not going to uh, move forward on this. Now you have this district attorney in New York City who has lowered felonies to misdemeanors, all of a sudden this does look very political, uh, I think, to a lot of people. And that's what's really galvanized not only the Trump base, but I think the the sometimes Trump, uh, you know, the some uh, the sometimes Trumpers uh, who are out there who wanted to move on, but now it's they're kind of getting sucked back in. And I think for people like Ron DeSantis, I think for the Republicans, like Greg Abbott, who maybe wanted to move on from the Trump era, it's kind of sucked them all back in now. Yeah, it's right. There's there's different categories of Trump supporters, right? There's the the diehard, you know, tailgate outside his rally, you know, yeah. wear the, the red hat. And then there's the people who maybe like some of the things he did politically, um, you know, maybe think he's not the most honest or, or the most responsible actor at all times, but feels like maybe he gets a bad rap um in the press and you know overly criticized and everything like that and an indictment like this where like you said a, a previous prosecutor looked at it chose not to um bring anything forward where it's a it's a you know the the story of what happened i think people know and understand but you have to kind of take some steps to explain why you know what what possibly makes a crime out of it and, and, right. and that might kind of cause people to think yeah so so if you are kind of of that opinion of you know maybe he's not my favorite person in the world but i'm not fully you know but i i think he gets a bad rap or or or, or like that this kind of plays right into that kind of thinking and approach yeah i think so and you know i i think that it's it's something that for you know the rally trump had what, 12 to 15,000, what was whatever the estimates were in Waco. And people knew this indictment was coming down. Dan Patrick showed up knowing this indictment was probably going to be coming down at some point. So it shows they're not afraid. They're not afraid of the the, the possible backlash. They're, they're, they're not too afraid of whatever fallout may come from this. Just because the polling numbers for Trump are still so, so high, that they're not really taking a chance on anything right now. Yeah, can I, can I jump in and I just want to say, like, I'm curious, Chad. Your your audience is uh, more conservative than than I think what what we do. Um, my my uh, thought on this was that always that you know while there was some you know lack of enthusiasm for Trump from the GOP base. I always felt like, you know, and, and there was talk about Ron DeSantis, as you pointed out, I always felt like he was Trump, that is, was still the front runner. And that, you know, there wasn't, even though people were talking about Ron DeSantis, like 
Trump is still like in my eyes and even back in January still felt like the guy to like knock off. Um, and so I wonder how, I mean, what you think of that? And also like, I think you pointed out like now, now the, the base is like, well, now we've got to back our guy because they're, they're coming after him. Yeah. I think, I think there was a, a moment where the DeSant, the DeSantis vote among my audience at least was coming up and getting a little bit more vocal Obviously, there were still the the Trump supporters by and large, and I still think Trump was the guy, or still is the guy to beat. But even was the guy to beat uh, among supporters out there, among Republicans uh, in in my audience, and among West Texas, and among Texas Republicans. But I think that for a moment, at least, there was that that idea of well, maybe there is someone else other than Trump. Maybe maybe DeSantis is Trump enough without the baggage, without the tweets, without you know, kind of getting back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that may or may not look like uh, in politics in 2023. Maybe we get back to somewhat normal of a politician, but also a guy who is still a little MAGA out there now. And maybe it's because DeSantis hasn't officially announced anything. Uh, maybe he's kind of just waiting to see what how this all develops people are just moving now more forward, I think, towards Trump. And it, it puts Trump in almost this impossible to beat category because, you know, how many times has a president, a president, a former president been prosecuted? Never. So this is the ultimate outsider uh, angle now. Hey, I'm being prosecuted. I'm the outsider because I'm being prosecuted. All the other insiders They've never been prosecuted. Now I'm the outsider again, and I think that's how some of the the Trump supporters look at Trump. Is see, he is that outside guy. He's not an insider again. But let me ask this because one thing you did mention is that the some people that were maybe willing to look at a DeSantis candidacy, yeah, you the way you described it, I think is is very interesting and right. Right? It's it's basically the policies of Trump without the drama, without the you know kind of bombasticness in in, in that kind of way, without the porn stars, without exactly. So <laughs> today or today and yesterday, essentially the headlines were you know the first president you know, first former president uh, indicted under criminal charges. But if this is a case that were to eventually go to trial or be litigated in some kind of way, we would be kind of getting into some of that, you know, a lot of presumably testimony from, um, you know, people involved in that payout. We would likely hear from Stormy Daniels and, and some of those things that could later on sort of remind people of the things that that segment maybe didn't love about Trump. So I do wonder whether this could be a short-term boost and an opportunity to rally around him, because it's not that challenging of a position for a Greg Abbott, for instance, to come out and say, this is a questionable prosecution. But when the conversation shifts to the substance of the allegation, is it possible that that could then cause some of those, you know, sometimes Trumpers to to reconsider their position? Not, I don't think enough to abandon Trump. And, and here's why. No one elected him as the most conservative Republican. I mean, that was arguably T Ted Cruz uh, back in the last in the last uh, Republican primary. Uh, no one elected the guy as the the 
you know, the preacher in chief or, you know, the, the family values conservative. He was never looked at in that banner. So when I hear from listeners, they don't care. They, 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 I mean, when Trump said he could go out onto, uh, well, what, what was it, uh, you know, Manhattan and shoot somebody and his supporters would still be there. I honest to God think he's right uh, that that the a large segment of supporters would still be there for him, and if he's still beating Ron DeSantis by thirty points, if if he still heads and tells above everyone else, and no one else is gaining traction, even the sometimes Trumpers, who else are they going to go to? There's just I don't think there will be enough to 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 stop Trump's momentum. Yeah, you know. I think one thing that maybe we can sort of lose sight on is that earlier this year, the the story that, you know, Patrick, we referenced and that you were talking about where you had people like Dade Phelan or or Jeff Leach, you know, Dade Phelan sort of, um, you know, highlighting how, you know, the various losses that, that Trump had, Jeff Leach really kind of just stepping out and saying, you know, he didn't support him anymore. Um as you see Republicans kind of drop off and start to express questions about him or, or distance themselves from them, it brings you a little bit closer to where Donald Trump was in early 2016, where basically yes. nobody in the GOP establishment supported him and people were outwardly, um, you know, denouncing him. You know, I, I think what was the Rick Perry quote? I think he called him like a, a cancer on conservatism or something like right. that. We are yeah. not, I think what we can say for certain is we're never going to get to the point where we were then, where basically the the electeds in the GOP were almost unanimously in opposition to him. No, no, I don't think we'll get to that at all. I, I think, in fact, I, I mean, I, I did not, I mean, with the fact that you're seeing all the, well, not all, but many of the elected officials out there issue statements and now they may not be supporting Trump, but they're at least, you know, hitting the New York City District Attorney uh, on this. I think that says a lot. And the fact that, and I, you, I think you brought it up earlier, even the fact that your, Greg Abbott issued a statement, not really defending Trump, but going after the District Attorney, uh, that that to me speaks volumes because Abbott's a smart guy. He knows the law. Uh, you know, he, 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 I don't, I don't look at Abbott as one of these guys who is just no matter what going to defend Donald Trump yep. and is going to ignore the law of the land. I look at Greg Abbott as somebody who you may not always agree with him, but the guy's smart. And you, when you pay attention to what he actually says and how he says it, he's hitting the district attorney on going beyond what the law is. I, I think that says a lot. And for the governor to come out and issue a statement as quickly as he did, it shows me that, you know, he 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 kind of sees where everything's turning right now. I've got a I've got a different take on that, which is that like uh, like the elected officials like know where the base is and they know that even if like you can't as a elected official like be in love with Donald Trump, you have to at least bash the new york district attorney right sure so like, yeah literally, that's that's the move to make and not necessarily say hey i'm defending donald trump but i'm i am attacking the quote-unquote witch hunt um but the other thing that i'd like to I also just you know we're talking about the political ramifications of it but i think like you know the 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 headline is 
first former president indicted. And I mean, that is a historic event, you know, um, and for a prosecutor to bring that case, uh, you know, let's not so easily dismiss the amount of evidence that, uh, you know, they probably have to feel the confidence to bring the case. And, you know, Michael Cohen um, has has pled guilty in some of those or, or, or in business related to that. And so it is, you know, there is some evidence there and we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. But it is a historic moment. And I kind of think about it like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about like the what falsifying of documents for the payment to this porn star, right? That's that's basically what we're talking about here, which kind of reminds me of like the Martha Stewart deal, which is like, yeah, she got, some, you know, she got some like information and she, you know, saved some money on like uh, the, the sale of those stocks. It wasn't a huge deal, but the, the, the fact that you try to cover it up and you try to hide it, that's what becomes the issue. And I think like, lost in all this is like the politics of the witch hunt and all this stuff. But like there is, you know, a prosecutor felt that they had enough evidence to bring the case. And, you know, whether you are for Trump or you're against Trump, let's all acknowledge that it's it's pretty uh, wild that we're talking about a, a person who is a former president and who's seeking to be president again, that we're talking about an indictment against him. Like yeah. that is that is pretty wild. Absolutely. Yeah. Patrick, is there any, should Republicans be in Texas be worried at all about the idea of not being able to kind of move on from Trump in terms of state politics? I mean, I, I have to think about like how 2018 was the kind of closest Democrats came to, you know, really scoring some some major, you know, statewide victories or other victories in the state. That was, you know, of course, a midterm, um, you know, Trump backlash sort of year. I mean, is there any worry about like, does does Trump at the top make Republicans down ballot more vulnerable and that that might be something they need to be thinking about in the next two to four years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did a story a couple weeks ago looking at the kind of down ballot, initial down ballot landscape in Texas this election cycle. And and while there aren't that many, um, you know, races that are expected to be competitive in the few that are expected to be competitive, you know, operatives, including Republican operatives, you know, shared with me that a lot of it's going to depend on who's at the top of who's at the top of the ticket in the presidential race. And, you know, one of them, you know, seemed to believe that if uh, it was a DeSantis, there'd be more opportunity for Republicans down ballot. Um, and that if it were Trump, uh, the opportunities are more limited. Um, I mean, polling shows that, you know, Trump remains unpopular with independent voters in a lot of places, including Texas. And so, you know, I mean, so far, this whole conversation that we've been having, I think, has largely been confined to, you know, what does this mean for um, his standing inside the party or inside the Republican primary? Um, but it's really I think it's a whole different, you know, frontier in some ways when you talk about what this could mean for him um, in a general election, um, including the impact he could have on down ballot races if, if he's severely damaged in a general election as the nominee. All right. All right. Let's pause for a moment and hear from our sponsors. Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, delivering quality health care to underserved areas throughout Texas by expanding vital telehealth services. Learn more at telehealthfortexas.com. And Texas 2036, building long-term data-driven strategies to secure Texas's prosperity through our bicentennial and beyond. 
Find out more at texas2036.org. Okay, so as the news was coming down of Trump's indictment, it kind of blew off the the political Twitter world. Um, what had we had started to kind of see a little bit of silly season in the Texas legislature, right? Your uh, your 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 staff scandal, uh, state rep Jelana Jones, res- uh, seeing her entire staff resigning over hostile work environments. A lot of people joke sharing uh, video screenshots of of um, Committee Chairman Jeff Leach saying some uh, inappropriate names that had been entered um, on the um, in, in as testimony in committee hearings. Everyone getting a good laugh of that. Um, but also, we're just starting to see the situation where we're starting to kind of wonder. You know, legislation is passing through the ha- the Senate um, last this past week. A lot of bills related to um, transgender children. Um, restricting uh, various treatments and, and, and care offered to them, um, issues related to birth certificates, participation in college sports. We're starting to see some disagreement between the leaders of the two chambers around how to reduce property taxes. Um, and, you know, really starting to get into that point where, you know, the negotiations are going to be happening, the tensions starting to pop up. James, how do you feel right now? Give me the temperature of the ledge. How do we feel about, you know, for instance, Dan Patrick and Dade Phelan getting along and getting some of these issues across the finish line between now and May 29th. Oh, I think I think I said this before, but you know, th- th- those two guys much more openly than previous speakers and and lieutenant governors, they don't like each other, um, and they're much more open about it. I feel, um, but you know, it, you know, they haven't blown up at each other yet. Um, yeah, the lieutenant governor has started saying, "Hey, I'm not going to pro- compromise on property taxes. I'm not going to compromise on on this big issue. And and if I've got to take it to a special session, we'll do that." And of course, uh, Speaker Feeling for his part is saying, "Hey, we're we're going to work it through the House. I'm going to work it through with my members, and then and then we'll take it to the next step." But you know, you, you mentioned it's silly season. To, to me, it's always silly season at the at the <laughs> legislature. Um, to me, you know, I'm a basketball guy, so I think this is like the second quarter. You know, you could you could skip the first quarter because it's just like everybody's getting the jitters out. You know, but the second quarter, you start saying like, okay, here, you know, everybody's like starting to settle into the game. Uh, the the hot players are starting to heat up. Um, and I think that's where we are. But you know, we still got. April, we still got May. We're, it's still early on. You know, the House barely started passing bills. The Senate is cooking as it always does very quickly, um, particularly on their priority bills, which of course are very socially conservative bills as Lieutenant Governor Patrick lays them out. But, you know, it's it's early on. Things are developing. Jad, you were in Austin last week, I believe, and talking to a lot of these players. What stood out to you about the, the atmosphere and, and the way things are shaping up? It's it was interesting uh, when when I spoke to some who were uh, maybe considered uh, further to the right uh, on the show, uh, they were very convinced uh, that uh, school choice was going to pass, uh, that they were going to get an education savings accounts uh, through, uh, that uh, you know that, that we were going to see some of these these big 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 bold pieces of legislation. Uh, and, and then I spoke to other people <laughs> and mm-hmm. and they weren't so sure that this uh, that that all these priorities were going to get through uh, the House from numerous people that I spoke to. They believe the House is working very, very slow as compared to some previous uh, sessions uh, that, that it's a little bit slower of a, of a uh, slog right now uh, in the Texas House. 
when it comes to uh, things like uh, when it when it comes to things like school choice, I don't I I think it's going to be a very tough thing for them to pass uh, in this mm-hmm. session. I mean, they've tried many times before. I still think it's going to be very tough for them to pass it. There's even a lot of disagreement on how it's going to work, even in the Texas Senate, which yep. has usually been the easier path. To, to, to get this thing through. There's a lot of disagreement uh, among uh, leaders of the Texas Senate right now about how to get a school choice bill through, even when it comes to property taxes, which everyone agrees, we want to lower property taxes, right? There's disagreement on how to do that. And so uh, I, I think, listen, there, there's, there's always been this battle, uh, it seems like, between the lieutenant governor uh, and the speaker, and uh, it's getting even more pronounced right now. Uh, But, you know, they still have time to get things done. But the lieutenant governor had, I don't know how many priorities now. Uh, The I mean, it's just off the charts how many priorities he has. I don't know how they get to even half of those in the House. The speaker, his priorities are pretty out of line with what we heard from the governor and from the lieutenant governor. They're va- vastly different uh, from uh, the, the governor and lieutenant governor. So it, there, there's there's a lot of time left, but also when it comes down to crunch time, that, that time moves fast, as you guys know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, one, thing, one thing I want to ask you, Chad, is in terms of like uh, the, the school choice, school voucher stuff, you know, we, it is. It does seem it's tough, particularly with the rural Republicans, which you, you know you interview a lot of them as well uh, in, in your in your neck of the woods as well. But with with all the pressure coming from you know Governor Abbott is now behind this with his educational savings account idea. Um, I think Lieutenant Governor Patrick is saying, "Hey, you know, we'll we'll force we'll force the issue with a special session." I mean, I I don't know that I see a a way that we get out of this without at least some version of of an educational savings account. So, so I wonder I wonder your thoughts from from speaking to the folks that you speak to. Yeah, no, it's a, and I mean it's a great point because I I think that there's obviously that big push and again from the governor I don't know how much of this has to do with his real aspirations in Texas versus aspirations maybe a little bit higher. And he mm-hmm. wants to put school choice and say that he's a school choice warrior out there, like yeah. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, and others who are running for president in the future. Uh, so, again, the governor's put a lot of pressure on lawmakers, but at the same time, a lot of the rural lawmakers that I've heard from, they have yet to say that they are 100 percent on board. Uh, in fact, many of them have said, well, we're still waiting to see what a bill will look like. They're not 100% on board. Uh, you know, even the ones in the Lubbock area, they want to see what the details look like. And I think there will be maybe something that looks like school choice, maybe something that looks like education savings accounts. It would surprise me if the entire state is in on this. You know, maybe we have a a, a trial, a test balloon, you know, somewhere in, in an area, it would surprise me if we have it all over the state right now. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, they're saying, you know, we want to see what the bill looks like. SB8 is out there. You know, they pushed that out of committee already. So it sounds like well, that's not that, necessarily it for them. Yeah, but I mean, the you've got you've got the House who have, they have they have one idea of what they right. want to do. Right. And then the Senate has another idea of what they want to do. And even the Senate, I don't think they've, they've all agreed just yet on 
what exactly is it, the final product is going to look like. They have an outline. They have a general idea. Yep. But I even heard that I had Senator Drew Springer on my show last week when we were in Austin. And one thing that he took uh, exception with is that if you've got a child who's in private school right now, you're not going to get any money. Right. But your neighbor could get money. And so he takes exception to that. Meanwhile, you've got other Republicans who are coming in going, well, wait a minute. If we are giving money to the kids who are already in private school, that gives into the argument that we're just giving the rich uh, money to educate their kids. So th there's still a lot of battles behind the scenes. Uh, State Representative Carl Tepper, when he was on with me, I think he had said that most people in the House don't even want this debate uh, that, that that's breaking He's out. He's probably right. He's probably right. And I think he is right. I think because very few people in the Texas House, Republican-wise, again, unless they're on the far right, uh, like a uh, Representative Harrison, uh, very few have just come on out and said, absolutely, I want to get this thing done. Right, right. It, it feels to me like we'll know a lot more a week from now about how this all stands, right? If 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 the if the bill sits in the Senate and doesn't reach the floor for another week, um, I think it would be reasonable to really ask the question, what's holding it up? Um, and I think, you know, we know that the House budget will be reaching the floor on Thursday of next week. Uh, we have in the past seen budget amendments uh, that kind of take the temperature of the House on school choice. Of course, uh, I've mentioned on this show before, back, uh, I think, last session in 2021, there was a, a, an amendment to ban, you know, school vouchers um, in in the, uh, you know, with with state funds that was, you know, pretty overwhelmingly supported. And so if we were to see at the end of this, um, at the end of next week, the bill still kind of pending in the Senate and a, and a big, uh, you know, a big vote in the, the House that would suggest that there's strong opposition to that, I think it would be reasonable to really question what what likelihood this goes through, you know, or you could see it getting out of the Senate and, and maybe a closer vote or, or, or no vote at all. And, and, and maybe there'll be reason for more. Well, but more no, and, you're right. and, and, and uh, you know, all our, all our listeners, of course, are, are, are wonks and they know this stuff, but for maybe those who are new listeners, I mean, the reason why, if it's still sitting there for a week is that, you know, they need, uh, what do they need? 18 uh, senators to, to bring it up, to bring up the bill. And there's 19 Republicans. So theoretically, they could get it up uh, on a party lined vote. But if, you know, if Senator Springer uh, is so ticked off with this 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 uh, issue that he's got uh, or, you know, one of the other rural lawmakers uh, who, who's got an issue with it, um, you know, if they if they are not happy with it, you know, all you need is. I guess two Republicans to say no. I'm not I'm not pleased with this yet, so we can hold this up, and and that will be certainly an indication of. Hey, this well, cool. one thing that uh, Senator Perry had told me last week is, and he's been pretty consistent on this, is, is that he has still not seen a school voucher bill that would work for his district, and mm -hmm. and that was leading up into this session, and 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 so he still had concerns about homeschool kids. Should homeschool kids get uh, money? He didn't think so, and so you know that. But but there are other Republicans who do want homeschool kids to to get uh, that voucher money. So 
uh, he had said that he's going to reserve his his vote to see if there's something that he believes would work for his vast, huge district that he oversees, which is rural, uh, but also has some some a uh, little bit of, of uh, some denser population as well. But you know, there there is still, I think that, like you said, James. It, it's it's not a done deal, and there's still I think some some whipping to be done uh, as far as whipping votes to see right. if they can get this thing through. Yeah, and on the subject of property taxes, I feel a little bit differently here. You know, it has been interesting and eye opening to watch the the speaker and the lieutenant governor kind of differ on the approach. The lieutenant governor um, has already passed a package out of the Senate. Um, that would, you know, increase the homestead exemption, uh, put a lot of money, you know, into schools to allow schools to buy down their property taxes. Uh, Phelan in the House talking more about appraisal caps, um, an idea that seems pretty unpopular with uh, with with Dan Patrick. But I just like have a hard time imagining them not finding something that they can all vote out and, and say oh. we love property taxes. And do you do you agree with that? Yeah, they've got to. I mean, uh, this this isn't this isn't vouchers. I mean, this is saving people money, and 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 so they've they they've they will find a way to get property tax reform done. It, I, I just think it may take a little bit longer than what people had anticipated. Uh, you know, and as as we typically see with the House and Senate, uh, when they vastly disagree on stuff, it can take time for them to uh, you know t- come to an agreement. And so I think you know rather than I think at the very beginning of the session, if you would have polled people, hey, is it going to be easy for them to pass property tax reform? Absolutely. Everyone's for that. Well, now that you have two very different models on saving people money, it, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to you know, smooth all these corners. Yeah, I think I think it's it's it's, uh, you know, they're on the same page. I, I do think, Chad, that your initial hunch of like absolutely something's going to pass is still right. It's just that they have such you know, vastly different ideas of how to do it that I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, I, you know, I, I'm not done reporting on this. So this is just my my thought. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get pretty far into the session before they reach an actual compromise. Um, but I, th- I think they want to get something done. They know that the voters uh, want property tax relief. It's just about, you know, who's whose idea is going to win out it's you know big uh lieutenants um carrying the bills paul benton court in the senate morgan meyer in the house and so you know there's going to be some head bashing but also i think this could also be part of the horse trading that's going to happen later in yeah. the session with maybe some of this uh school voucher stuff or some of the transgender stuff like hey how badly do you want your idea to pass versus uh versus property taxes I, you know i, I think yeah. that's could shape up. Yeah, I, I think so. I, oh, go ahead, Chad. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one one more thing is, where's the governor? And you know, on this, the governor's out campaigning on school vouchers. He's going city to city and and, and going to to all these places. But we're not really hearing the governor give his plan when it comes to property. And I think that's what that would help move yeah. a lot of people, both on the House and Senate side. Well, Governor, you're the one who has to sign off on this. Uh, you're the one who's urging uh, people to to do bar property tax reform. Yet the only thing we're really hearing from the governor these days is school choice, school choice, school choice. 
I think that's exactly right. Um, all right, James, I want to ask one more question about these, um, you know, socially conservative bills, pr particularly around uh, trans kids that have come up. You know, we saw the college sports bill. Um, uh, we saw um, a bill that would um, block uh, children from changing their uh, gender on their birth certificate. Um, we've seen things related to, um, you know, various uh, types of medical care that um, would, would be banned under the legislation, all of that coming out of the Senate and coming over to a house, the chamber where, you know, in the past, these measures faced stiffer uh, opposition, you know, of course, looking back to the bathroom bill in 2017. Um, but even, you know, everyone keeps pointing, we love to point it out too, about how Dade Phelan saying back in 2019, you know, he's, I think the quote was, I'm tired of, of, of picking on the LGBT Q community. Um, that said, the it's a different house. It's a different house than it has been in past sessions. How much resistance do you think there will be, if any, to these measures in the lower chamber? I don't know that, you know, it's a much more socially conservative house. I think it's gotten much more socially conservative in the last couple of sessions. So I don't know that there is a sustained opposition uh, to these bills. I think Valerie Swanson's bill, um, is that the one blocking like uh, or, or banning puberty blockers and hormone treatment for kids? I think that one's got like the majority of lawmakers signed on to it. So I don't see as much opposition. And this is where maybe the calendar plays in and the slow roll, because even if you are supportive of it and you're in leadership, right, you, you maybe do want to get it passed. But you also have all these other priorities and you don't necessarily want your members cutting each other up um, early on and hating each other it, to an extent that they're just going to like just make this drag out and be painful for the for the rest of the session. So that's maybe where the calendar plays in. But I'll say another thing is that, you know, with SB 15, for example, with trans uh, trans women in college sports, that's you know, much like the the trans student athletes in K through 12 was last session, it's a tougher issue for the general population to deal with because you look at um, competitive college sports and you do hear the um, concerns of, well, people have worked very hard their whole lives to get there. Are there advantages that a trans person has um, when competing in sports? And, and I think, frankly, we don't necessarily have all the answers. Um, and, you know, I think Nathan Johnson, a senator from Dallas, a Democratic senator from Dallas, kind of said some something to that respect in his uh, present not voting vote on that bill, saying sort of like this is not really the time to to make that decision um, because there are, you know, there are some of those concerns for from people who are not necessarily on one side or the other. They just. They just don't know. So these are a little bit tougher uh, votes for even folks who traditionally would be, I, I guess, uh, defenders of trans rights. They're harder votes to take, I think. Chad, your hometown state rep, Dustin Burroughs, is the uh, calendars chair and will have uh, a, a decent say on, you know, if and when these bills get out of the House. What's the what's the sense you're feeling? You know, it's interesting. I think that you'll see some of these more conservative bills eventually make their way through, but it would not surprise me because many of these bills are not on the top of, of the speaker's list. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, the the, 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 the speaker 
uh, he communicates what he was what he would like to see, and and I, I think this is a speaker who, while he likes to sometimes rattle the cage and is okay rattling the cage, he doesn't really like to do it too much. You know, he 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 wants. Uh, I, I think when he looks at some of the larger bills that are out there, uh, that are the big priorities like property tax reform. Does he want to get the House Democrats and Republicans feuding with each other and getting the bad blood boiled up on a social issue when he still wants to pass property tax reform? So, you know, where does that fall in line? So some of the bigger bills that may determine when and if we hear for you know hear about some of the trans uh, issues. I think the the uh, the issue of trans uh, people in sports i think that's more likely uh to to be passed out of the house uh i think uh, when it comes to some of the, the the blockers and everything else depends on what comes out of the senate to be honest uh even the senate's kind of lightened up their bill a yeah. little bit it seems right. so what's going to happen in in, in the uh, in the house uh, with that that could be another bill that gets a conference committee uh to be honest with you and then the House, they're more focused, it seems at times, on some of the DEI stuff. Uh, I know that Carl Tepper has a couple of bills on DEI. Uh, so they still have to get to that. I think there are more members in the House. I could be wrong, but I think there have been more members expressed concern over DEI and property tax reform in the House than maybe some of the trans stuff that's going on. So it. This is why this is why I look at the calendar and I just go, my gosh, how do they get all this stuff? Uh, how, they can't possibly get all this stuff passed. Maybe they can, but it also seems to me that the speaker is going to want to hold some of the more controversial things until the very end of the session, so that way they can have more of a kumbaya uh, type feeling in the house to get the property tax reform done. To maybe, if there is a bill on. Uh, vouchers to get that uh, through. So I think that that's where that comes into play. All right. Well, we got about a little bit less than two months to figure this all out. So it'll be interesting and exciting to watch. Thank you, Chad, for joining us. Thank you, James and Patrick as well. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thanks to our sponsors, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, Texas Nurse Practitioners, Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, and Texas 2036. We'll talk to y'all next week. Join us on April 11th for a conversation with lawmakers and advocates about recent legislative efforts to push back against illegal fentanyl and the drastic increase in opioid overdose deaths in Texas. RSVP at texastribune.org events.